Let's roll. And welcome to that one show with Brian Combs. Today, my good friend Jason Potter joins the show for the first time since he was on the Sturgill episode when we ranked his entire catalog. And today we will be ranking again, but this time he and I will be ranking our 10 favorite albums of the year. First of all, Jason, thank you so much for joining me again. How are you today, my friend? Man, I'm good. It's it's cool to be on here with you again, Brian. So let's talk briefly here. You and I have floated this idea for a few months now of of ranking our favorite albums of the year. And I don't know about you, but I thought this was an exceptionally good year for uh for music, specifically the album. Man, it was uh it was we were spoiled this year. It was it was really tough to rank these albums and I, you know, if somebody hits us up on social media and has disagreements, I understand it's been like a kind of a, a hard year to, to rank them. But um, I think the the real standouts kind of held their ground, though, you know. Absolutely. Well, I had a pretty solid uh, five and then I had probably 20 that I was trying to choose from 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 a back half, my 10 through six. And I just over the last few weeks kept wheeling them down i kept wadding my list up and making a new one and uh you and i've been texting back and forth and you you know i actually made some changes just a couple hours ago right before we started recording <laughs> well we've had we, we, we've had some recent developments that yes. they definitely i think they changed both of our our rankings absolutely we I had mean, some had some albums released you know just in the last week or so that totally kind of just upended my list here Absolutely. I, you know, it's funny you, you even say that because um, I, if I remember correctly, we started texting about this podcast in June. Yes. And I think maybe like in August, I said to myself, like, okay, my list is complete. I've been keeping like a little notes tab and just my list is good. I, I'm, I'm ready for December. And man, it's been like upended the last couple of months, you know, especially Absolutely. the last few weeks, you know, it's been uh. We like I said, we've been super spoiled, and we've gotten some great music this year, and it's going to be cool to talk about it a little bit, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. So, for our listeners, how we're going to do it today? We're going to rank our ten favorite albums. Now, Jason and I both are really geek out over music, and we like to talk about it in length. And so, for time purposes, we're going to just rank albums ten, nine, eight, seven, and six. But then we'll get into ranking our five, four, three, two, and one, and taking the time to actually talk in depth about those albums. And it's no slide on, you know, the back half of our list here. Those are great albums in their own right. And if you want to hear Jason and I talk about those, we very much just hit us up on social media. Uh, and uh, without further ado, man, just go ahead and give me. Uh, your uh, 10, 9, 8, 7, and 6, starting with 10, if you don't mind, Jason. All right. So it's weird kind of going through them without just talking at length because I'm used to nerding <laughs> out on it. But here we go. Here we go. So at number 10, I've got Trampled by Turtles, Alpenglow. It's incredible. Anybody that hasn't listened needs to listen. And I'll move on. At number 9, I have Adeem the Artist. White Trash Revelry um, came out last Friday. One of the most important songwriters we have today. Great stuff. At number eight, Charlie Crockett, The Man from Waco. It's cohesive. It's cinematic. It's awesome. At number seven, S.G. Goodman, Teeth Marks. Oh, my God. Like, listen to that record. At number six, I have 49 Winchester, Fortune Favorites Bold. Um the future of country music. All right, man. All great picks. Uh, for my number 10, I have SG Goodman with Teeth Marks, her sophomore album. I loved her debut album, and I love this one just as much, if not a tiny bit more. Like you, I have Trampled by Turtles and Alpenglow. They are my number nine. Uh, one thing about them, if you have never got a chance to see those uh, folks live, I beg you to do so if they come around to your neck of the woods. They were fantastic. At number eight, I got Jack White, Fear of the Dawn, which is my favorite of his solo albums. And uh, 
He had two albums this year, both of them really good, but I preferred Fear of the Dawn. At number seven, I've got Eddie Vedder with Earthland, which is by far his best solo album. And if it was a Pearl Jam album, it'd be my favorite of theirs probably since Binaural way back in the so early good. 2000s. And, and he has some great musicians on that. Uh, very much, very much recommended that one. And this one may be a shock to some people that it's not a little higher. My number six is Tyler Childers with Can I Take My Hounds to Heaven? And I'm sure more than likely we may be talking more in depth about that later uh, when you start making yours. We'll, we'll, yeah, we will. we will. So I'm sure I can expand on my thoughts just a little bit on that when we talk about it. So once again, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to let you kick us off for actual in-depth discussion. What is your fifth favorite album of 2022? So my rankings have been shaken up the last month or two, especially the last couple of weeks. But at number five, I've got Arlo McKinley, This Mess We're In. Um, it's Arlo McKinley, if, if you know me at all, if you follow me at all, he's I really feel like he's one of the greatest artists working today. Um, the record was produced by Matt Rossbang. And his reputation kind of speaks for itself. Like the guy, he, he's uh, he's produced or mixed or engineered records for Lucero, Drive-By Truckers, Charlie Crockett, John Prine, Elvis Presley. Like it's just, the list goes on. It's insane. Um, I can I can go on and on about why I love this record. I, I just, I feel like it picks up right where his last record, Diamond Western, left off. And that's, that was my favorite record of 2020. It's just... Arlo's music is full of, um, I guess I like to call it like optimistic melancholy. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, you know, the shit you're listening to is sad, but somehow you feel slightly uplifted afterwards, you know? And I really love the new one because it had different like musical elements, you know? It had like his first real duet with Logan Halstead, who's a great up and comer. And, you know, from West Virginia, Kentucky, I can't wait to hear what he has coming in the future. And I thought it was a really good introduction to the public, you know, for, for Logan. Um, I was excited to hear it and it just slays. Um, As far as like the songs itself, uh, there were so many little elements that were like kind of, dropped in here and if you weren't really listening for me you may not have noticed but it's like even small things like instrumental elements like the organ and to die for it's just and the strings that kick in afterwards it's like unbelievable he he writes songs about you know relationships and heartache and mortality and and he does it in a way that nobody else does. And you just, you come away from his records feeling, like I said, uplifted. And I, I really feel like he'll, he might not ever get the credit that he's due. And I'm, I'm waiting for the day that he does. Um, it, I mean, if the hairs on the back of your neck don't stand up when you hear the chorus to Rush in the Rug, uh, oh, I mean, it, I can't even help you, you know? Yeah, that's my favorite one from that album. Is, uh yeah. Uh, I think if I had to actually choose one of my favorite songs. Now, let me ask you real quickly. Uh, I think this is his second album with Old Boy Records, which was John Prine's label, correct? It is. Yeah. Do you know, because uh, you, I, love, I like Arlo a lot, but you, you are, I think we would both agree, probably a little bigger fan than I am of his. Do you know why he don't necessarily use uh, his touring band, uh, the Lonesome Sound, on uh, on this album or the previous one? Now you know, like that. I mean, that's a really good question. I don't really have an answer for that. Um, yeah. it's weird how some artists do it. Like, like, and we'll get to this later. Trust me. But like Childers, you know, it's yep. just, you know, it's technically his fourth, but really his third major label album, and. It's the first one he got to use his band on. I, I don't know if that's something that like labels may insist upon. Um, he has a bang up crew on the yes. album, but but I yeah. but I agree. Like I've heard his live band; they're incredible. And I don't know if it's a rotating cast or what. I I don't really have an explanation for that. I, I kind of like. I'd love to ask him that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, uh, this was on my long list. It didn't quite 
crack my top 10, but it is a great album. I'm glad you chose it so we could talk about it. Uh, if anybody's listening to this podcast, I, I'm sure you know who Arlo is by now, but if you don't, I don't know what to tell you other than check out you know this album as well as his previous couple that he's got out there available on all streaming platforms or uh, as Jay and I both agree, uh, by the vinyl. Absolutely. So, so we yeah, yeah go ahead. Let's hear, let, let, let's hear that t- that that number five of yours. My number five is uh, a self-titled album by the Local Honeys, which is actually their third studio album, and their first with La Honda Records. Nice. Uh, uh, I have been a fan of theirs for years. Both of them literally uh, grew up and live just you know a half hour drive from my house. Um. People, longtime listeners of the podcast, as well as my old radio show, know how big a fan I am of the local honeys. Uh, I'm glad that they actually got to use some of the musicians that they uh, use live on this album. And uh, because both of their previous albums, more so than not, has just been the duo uh, with a few uh, musicians scattered here and there. But this one, pretty much, they have the, the band with them. Uh, Linda Jean in Montana. And uh, this album come out and I listened to it, I think like six or seven times a day of, and I haven't quit listening to it since it's been out for several months. Some standout songs for me are, uh, of course, Dead Horses, which is probably my favorite on the album. Uh, Last Mule in the Holler uh, and Dumbass Nebraska. I highly, highly recommend this album if you like uh, Americana, folk, whatever whatever you want to call it. And to me, there's hardly no one out there today like the local honeys. If you didn't know it and you just put them on, you would think they might be a duo from the forties. And, uh, there's just really nothing else out there that can compare to that. As far as their sound goes, I know you like this, uh, this group as well, Jason, do you have anything you want to add before we move on, man? Man, I, I have to say, I'm a big fan of what LaHonda Records is doing. Absolutely. Um, like, it seems like everybody they've signed, I mean, from like Riddy Armin to the Honeys to Vincent Hill Emerson, obviously Coulter Wall. Coulter. Like, like yeah, like those dudes, that, that whoever's running LaHonda Records, they, they really don't miss. They're kind of tapped into what people want to hear. People in our music scene, I really enjoyed the new Honeys record. It's their most, like... um I'll say like well-rounded, like it's, I saw them live um, at Laurel Cove in 2021 uh-huh. and they had like the full band sound going and they played a few songs off this record. So you kind of got an idea of what was coming and it was so cool to hear just because you're right. Like there, there are other records, they have a gospel record and they have their, their debut and both are incredible, but they sound like they could have been made in 1940, you know? Yep. Like you were uh, saying. Yep. Uh, let me yeah, say, it, real, go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Like, get in there. Uh, get in there. Uh, well, the first time I ever saw them, I had not, oh, no idea who they were. I think this was probably maybe five, six years ago. There is a festival close by here in Eastern Kentucky that's called Festival of the Red. It is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday festival. And if anybody out there is listening and have done a three day festival, you know that Sundays is usually, especially the first ones to go on. Uh, I think they went on at 10 a.m. that morning. Not very many people were awake, and those that were <laughs> after <laughs> after forty eight hours of uh, of a music fest were were hung over, and they blew me away. It was just them two, and I have followed them since, and I've loved seeing them grow as musicians over the last five or six years. And they're still relatively young, and the sky's the limit. And if anybody's ever seen any live videos of Tyler Childers and the Food Stamps, you know who. Uh, jesse wells is he plays pretty much any instrument that god ever put on this earth and he uh he actually taught those both of those at moorhead they call him the professor for a reason a because he literally is a professor of music at moorhead state university mom or mater but also he's pretty much just a professor of any music of any instrument he sometimes will wear a local honey's hat during those tyler shows um so I highly, highly recommend this album. Their previous two, their debut, Little Girls Acting Like Men, as well as The Local Honeys Sing the Gospel, which is a fantastic album 
of pretty much uh, one or two originals, but mainly their take on traditional gospel hymns. And they're both great. And, you know, if you guys are into vinyl, yes, yeah, if you can find, if you can find those first two, yes, good luck. You could find, you could find them easily six months ago. They're a lot harder to find these days, Let, but they're one, around. Yes. My, one of my favorites, uh, there's a, uh, I guess it's a boutique label called soul step. Uh, oh yeah. Records. And they put out both of those uh, on color variants and the gospel is actually, counting the, the center sticker and the color and looks just like a collection plate at a church. And that's one of my favorite records that I own. Oh man, you have one of those. That's pretty cool. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I do. Yeah. Uh, signed, yes. signed. Uh, look at you, man. He's like showing me up, man. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> uh, it's funny on vinyl. I'll, uh, my wife, she'll look at my discog sometimes and I'll say, Hey, this album's worth, you know, X amount of dollars. And she said, it's only worth that. A, if you'll sell it and B, if someone want to buy it and I know you're never going to sell it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I have to admit, like, I, I feel kind of seen like hearing that. Cause I, I, I hear the same thing all the time from my wife. <laughs> yeah. She gives me a hard time because she's like, so when the house catches on fire, you're making sure that we get out safely first and you're going back in for your records. Right. And I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> I'll tell you what's sad. is like every time there's a tornado warning down here in Mississippi, <laughs> I have a separate crate and yeah, I'm not yeah. even shitting you. Like I have 15 records at the front of my stack and I grab all 15, put them in the crate. And it's a kind of a small tornado shelter. My wife's like, is this really necessary? And I'm like, yeah. absolutely. Like, there's no yeah. way I'm starting over. Well, I, I've got uh, any record that I have signed or any that I, that's a variant that you just can't get anymore. I have in a crate that I can just grab. <laughs> it's a and smart move. They're, they're See, there's nothing with. wrong. No, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, a, no. that's being that's that's being smart. You know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> all right. Uh, speaking of vinyl, before we move on, La Honda Records. If you order any vinyl off of them, be it this local Honey's record or any of the artists we just mentioned, they will sound fantastic. Anything I've ever got from them, you can tell that they've taken the care in making it sound good. So, oh, yeah. Let's move on to your number four album, Jason. All right. So my my number four album is kind of is a newcomer. Uh, in the last eight to 10 weeks, it's uh, a singer songwriter, Noah Kahan. He he has a record called Stick Season. It was a kind of a big hit. Um, and one of my friends turned me on to it, man. Uh, my buddy Braden. And it's just it's incredible. Um, Noah is from Vermont. Um, and actually, Stick Season, like the title it's uh, kind of slang up in the Northeast. It's it's supposed to be pretty much the time between Halloween and the first snow. And usually that's a very depressing time. Um, but it's an album about personal growth and leaving home and homesickness and maybe even kind of being homesick for a place when you're already still there, you know, think about the memory of a place. Um, it's, it's not a country record at all, really. It's a unique blend of... Uh, indie folk pop i would call it um it's got just the choruses are just absolute earworms and the melodies are just so infectious and if you if you give it a chance and you give it a listen through i mean i can almost assure you that you'll be just spinning it back to back because i had a my buddy sent it to me two two months ago whenever it came out in october and i'll be honest i, I really didn't give it too much attention um I told them I listened to it, but I really hadn't. <laughs> and then maybe three, four weeks ago, I I hit play on it just out of curiosity and was just blown away. And uh, I would highly suggest it. If you haven't heard it, Brian, I mean, I would definitely give it a listen. Yeah, I had actually never heard of this album or Noah uh, until you suggested it. And I got to listen to it uh, just uh, the day before yesterday for the first time. And I really, really liked it. And it nice. will be definitely will be an album I revisit. Uh, and you mentioned the melodies and things of that nature, and I kind of got a little bit of Fleet Foxes vibe on my listen. And like I said, I only got to listen to it once. Am I off base on that, or or, or... no? I think uh, I think that's a good comparison. I think it's like a kind of a Fleet Foxes vibe with like a, maybe a little bit more pop appeal. Like mm -hmm, it's got. Mm -hmm. Like the like the hooks are more yeah. consistent than Fleet Foxes, if that makes sense. It yeah, definitely. 
Um, and on my on my first listen and my only listen so far, I think the song that uh, stuck out to me the most. Uh, let's forgive me if I don't get the name exactly right. She calls me back. Oh yeah, calls me back. That's the name of the track. Okay, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's, I highly recommend it as well. And I would definitely, definitely be revisiting it. And I appreciate you suggesting that because I always love finding new music, especially music that I enjoy. And I have to say that on the cover, he's got two German Shepherds on the cover. He does. And he uh, does. I, uh, as as someone who has a German Shepherd that wakes him up every morning, uh, I, I appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it just struck me because it's an album about, uh, I mean, it's named after the, like the saddest time of year. Yeah, man. Whenever you listen, it's like a happy record, you know, like it's puts you in a good mood. I, I love starting my day with that album. It's great. Yeah. My, my little girl loves it. Everybody I've tried to turn on to it, listens to it, likes it. You know, it's just kind of got a universal appeal there, you know. But you got a number four, man. I have uh, the most recent album. Uh, release date wise on my entire list and you mentioned it briefly when you were talking about your 10 through 6 and that is a deem the artist with white trash reverie and holy shit what a songwriter oh my god yeah. uh, i have to say that this album i uh i had listened to the single which is uh middle of the heart which is a brutal brutal but beautiful song and but and but I was not expecting the entire album to be that good, man. I have to admit it. And shout out to uh, Kyle Crownover. I think did he produce this album or is he just a man? He did. Or both? Okay. No, yeah. uh, he's both. Yeah, yeah. Both, actually. Um, unbelievable, man. And um, the first time I listened to this album was release day, uh, which was just just as we're recording this this past Friday. Uh, every Friday morning. Uh, I go for a jog and just fire up a new album. And this was that one. And it was like 23 degrees. And by the second song I was crying and like, dude, I had frozen tears on my, like right on the side of my face throughout that run. Uh, and I've listened to it. I can't tell you how many times over the last four days. And we mentioned earlier that I shook my list up a little bit because I had this at seven, but I had to bump it up, man. I just had to. And I have a feeling dude, if like we redid this, uh, podcast three months from now when i've had more time with this album it may be even higher than four no and that'd be if we did it three months if we redid this podcast three months from now it would be higher than for me as well you know like it's i cannot deny deem songwriting it's i mean if we're if you want to have a brief like a deem conversation let's um, do it let's do it because it, it we need to man because i'm i'm sure we, that I have everybody we talked to today uh, or about today uh, my listeners are probably going to be least familiar with Adeem, so we need to we need to talk about it. Well, you know, Adeem, his first record came out. You know what? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I don't have the exact date, but I'm guessing probably like twelve to sixteen months ago. It was, it was last year, a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah, it was last year, and it was called. Uh, I've got it here. Pansexual. It was ca cast it was, iron it was, pansexual. Uh, cast iron. Yeah, there you go. There it is, and. You know, that record, Adeem has like an alternative sexuality. And it's, I felt like that record was a lot of him coming to terms with that and just kind of trumpeting it and just like accepting who he was, you know. And some of the material, I'll, I'll say, I mean, if I have to be totally honest, like the, like the, when I hit the play on it the first time, maybe the first track wasn't the most relatable one. But man, like if you just if you just stayed on that ride, like his songwriting is incredible. He had songs like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but like Apartment. I mean, he just had songs that really made you know, like helped you empathize and understand where he was coming from, you know. And his talent was so obvious. And you know, Adeem before he was a song a known songwriter, he may have done it for fun. But he was a he was a writer. He wrote for uh, Country Queer and he wrote music reviews. And I've gone back and read some of his reading, man, and some of his writing, excuse me. And it's unbelievable. Like just if you're any kind of like writer, if you read his stuff, it's like his talent for writing and just the use of language. It's unbelievable. And it trend. 
I've never seen it just translate to music so well. Like I just can't even explain to you. I loved his first album, Cast Iron Pansexual, was incredible. And this new one, I mean, it just it blew me away. Um, you know, I wasn't running in 23 degrees, but I will say this. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting in a car rider line with my my daughter and I was listening to the record for the first time and the last song, My America, came on. Oh, and, yeah, man. I'm, just, and, I'm getting chills right now be, just, just, just thinking about it. Dude. <laughs> man, like, I'll be honest, whenever that song came on, Brian, like, like I didn't, like, I felt like that song had, so, I mean, the album in itself, the, the new record, White Trash Revelry, is so relatable. It's not like his first record. This more pertains to all of us, I think, whenever, you know, as opposed to the first one where he was kind of coming to terms with who he was. And, but man, when I heard My America, I heard so many of my views and the way that I feel in that song. And it like, for a moment, I was prideful. But then I kind of remembered like what a good writer, you know, a deem is. And I didn't know whether to be like prideful or shameful. I didn't know if he was writing that song about his own views or if he was writing it about his persecutors. You know what I'm saying? He's got several, like, uh, yeah, uh, album or songs on the album similar to that. I mean, uh, uh, Heritage of Arrogance. Uh, oh my gosh! Uh, Redneck, Unread Hicks, and um, the thing I can relate to is a person growing up in Appalachia South, whatever you want to call it, is I never really felt I fit in here. I love it here. Don't get me wrong. I, I love, love this area. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. For the most part, the people are awesome, but I always felt, you know, uh, a little different, not in the same way as a Dean. Uh, but he, he, I, I think that's why I started crying, man, because he was just conveying some of the feelings I've always had of, you know, I can see some shit that's going on around me that I, that I don't agree with and that I know that's wrong, but have I ever actually done anything about it? Yeah. Uh, and that hit me like a ton of bricks on Friday, man. It really did. It really made me think. And the best music makes, makes a person think. And I agree. I agree with that. And I think that's the point, you know, I think that's the point, but, and when it, you texted me that morning and you told me, what you felt when you were running, you know, and um, I I knew what you were feeling. I I had I had some of that in me too, man. Like, you know, we all think we're accepting. Everybody wants to think they're a good person. You know what I mean? But yeah. whenever you're confronted with the plight of someone, that's I guess like I know there's probably a softer word, but persecuted is the word uh, that I. There, oh, there's you know, no doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, you know, you and I both live in the South, and we. We know uh, for for anyone who is not necessarily the you know the stereotypical uh, person uh, that's that's different in any way, but especially you know a person like a deem who doesn't necessarily conform in what people in the South may think is normal or anything like that. It's got to be hard, and I have no idea how that is, dude. And but empathy is something I have really, really, as I've uh, grown older, tr tried to practice more. And that's, you know, putting myself in someone else's shoes who's not like me and, and trying to recognize just because of the person that they are, they they face, you know, trials and tribulations that I never will as just a heterosexual white male. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... That's the that's the best way to say it, Brian. And man, you know, the combination of his, I mean, and I tell, hey, anybody that's going to listen to White Trash Revelry really needs to listen to his first record because you get a much better idea of who Absolutely. they are. I, yeah. I, keep, I keep using the wrong pronoun. Yeah, you know, yeah. But, he, uh, uh, you know, Adeem prefers the they pronoun. And I, uh, I think that we should, you know, all of us, and I'm not throwing down you because I'll be honest with you, man, where I'm from, <laughs> I don't have an opportunity at all really to use they pronouns because I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere in Eastern Kentucky and it's, uh, so that is something that I have to consciously work on because 
I want to recognize that that is what that person prefers and I need to respect that person enough to use they. Yeah. And, but, and same here, yeah, same here. But, I but live, at the same I time, the of- old habits die hard and it is something that I have to conscious, consciously make myself work on and, and forgive me if I do slip up, it's not, uh, that I'm, I'm wanting to miss, you know, misgendering you at all. It's just that this is something, you know, even though I'm, I'm 42 years old due to my upbringing and basically the bubble I have lived in pretty much my entire life is new to me. And I, and I, I want to recognize that there are folks out there like a Dean that don't necessarily fit into a he or she, and that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. And, and you know what, like I'm in the same boat, like I just said, and I think that's the point of his music. I mean, and he, he makes us think about these things and, and be more conscious and empathize and kind of see where, just see a different perspective. And he does such a good job because he's such a damn words. They are such a damn wordsmith, you know, Absolutely. like I said, there you go. I just got caught up again. Like I can't even and- help myself. <laughs> Uh, um, one one last thing before we move on, you mentioned uh, Adeem's, you know, previous album, and I absolutely, if you've not listened to White Trash Reverie, listen to that one, uh, Cast Iron Pansexual, and then immediately, if you can, listen to this new one because it shows Adeem's growth not just as a musician, but as a person coming to terms with who they truly are, and it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing. It is. It's awesome. I'm glad you included it in your top five. I, I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it, even though we jacked up the pronouns 50 times. And <laughs> and, and like I said, uh, I'm sorry. I mean, that's something that I have, that I want to work on. <laughs> I need to work on it and I will work on. And it's not, like I said, man, it's not, you know, that I'm doing it intentionally. It's just something that's, that's totally new for me and I'm, I'm fine with it and I'm sure I'll slip up again. Uh, but it's just, something we're going to get better. Yeah, we're going to be better, dude. We're going to be better because of this. Absolutely. So yes. let's. I think we have three left each, right? Um. Yeah, we have three left each. Let's uh, take like a quick break here, but it'll just be for a minute for our listeners, and uh, come right back with our three favorite albums of the year. I hope you all enjoying it so far. And we are back. I'm joined uh, by Jason Potter. We are counting down our 10 favorite albums of 2022, and we only have three left each, and we'll get right back into it. Jay, what do you have for us at number three? Number three, I've got Tyler Childers, Can I Take My Hounds to Heaven, Baby? All right. Awesome. All right. The floor is yours. All right. So... You know, some things were done differently on this record. This record was produced by Tyler and the Food Stamps. Um, it was recorded and mixed by Kenny Miles at Fat Baby Studios. He's a incredible producer. He did 49 Winchester, Sonora Mays Records, um, Padre Paul Handelman. And, you know, like a, there were a lot of mixed feelings when this album came out. Um, I feel like a lot of people want Tyler to give you the same old, same old. And what I love about him is that he doesn't give a shit what you want and he's going to make the art that he likes. And I really feel like, you know, uh, whenever the record was released, you know, we all heard rumors, people that are really paying attention. They're like, Oh man, you know, Tyler might be putting out a gospel record or something, you know, but the, really the record is kind of like an ode to whatever God you happen to worship. Um, it's pretty much non-denominational. Um, I really feel like, Exactly. Uh, I really feel like the point of the album, like it was, the album itself is like a tribute to his band, the food stamps. It's the first album that the food stamps have played on. And man, like the jams are so tasty. Um, as far as like an overall sound, man, like, like heart, I'll just use like the closing track, like heart, you've been tended. Mm. You know, it sounds like a, it's like a sixties era, like soulful song. I mean, this record sounds like, if Otis Redding was from the holler and loved, loved God, you know, <laughs> um, 
there's three versions of this record, which has been much talked about. And the truth is, I prefer the Hallelujah version because I'm a live music fan, and all versions of this record were, it, it was all recorded live. It was recorded live over three days. They recorded the songs live and took the best takes of each song, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, Tyler's vocals are just out front on this record, um, it, which I think is really cool because the whole point of the record is to flex his band, but his vocals, you just notice them more on this record. Um, um, can I let me add some a couple things real quick? Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go for it. Okay, number one, uh, I love that you pointed out that this was a gospel album for whatever God you worshiped. And, um, one of my all time favorite songs is Tom T. Hall, Me and Jesus. Me and Jesus have our own thing going, and we don't need anybody to tell us what it's about. I think that whatever you choose to or not to worship is between you and whatever deity or God that you choose to pray to or what have you, or if you don't believe in anything, that is, that is cool too. Now me, myself, I consider myself a Christian and there is a particular line in, uh, angel band in here that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I shared it with you when, when this album first came out, um, earlier this year, I had someone who, uh, I love that I'm close to literally, uh, told me I had left my plow behind and I was no longer fit for the kingdom of heaven because Whoa. I, I had my picture taken at a distillery. Uh, I wasn't drunk. I was taking literally tasting maybe two ounces of bourbon. Now, let me just say that's, <laughs> that's, that, that hurt me, dude. And there is a line in here. Really? Yeah, well, that, yeah, I mean, that that, that hurt me. <laughs> and uh, But there is a line in here uh, in Angel Band, and it's not a cover of the Stanley Brothers Angel Band, but a, a new song that is fantastic in its own right. It's that there's uh, Hindus, Jews, and Muslims, Baptists of all kinds, Catholic girls, Amish boys who've left their plows behind up in there in the choir singing side by side, wondering why exactly. They've been fussing the whole time. And that might be my favorite line of any song of this entire year, man. Uh, man, you, you texted me those words whenever this record came out. Yeah. And I, I immediately like went back and re-listened to it again. I've listened to this record 300 times since it came out. Um, but see, I think that's the beauty of it. You know, you, you relate to this album for certain reasons and I'll be real, man. I'm, pretty agnostic um i don't really know what i believe in and but i believe in something i'm just not really sure what that thing is yet you know and yeah and uh, i related i related to it just as easily as you know anyone else could and I, I think it's pretty universal like you said and i just i love the way he went about it i think the music is incredible i think it's so diverse it really like you know the band gets funky on pur like you get that funky uh, version of Purgatory, which I think is awesome. I probably prefer it to the original, even though I love bluegrass music and I love the original Purgatory. Like yes. the new take is so dope. Mm. Yeah, like, the way, uh, way the way of the Triune God, like that would sound at home in like a paint chip church in 1935. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, he um, uses uh, he uses archival footage of all types of churches around here in the. Uh... In, in the area he grew up in the area that I grew up of eastern Kentucky I think in the video for that song and see I haven't me, even I haven't even seen the video for that song like that's just what I thought about like so that's perfect. yeah I mean yeah I mean you've got snake handlers doing. and everybody in there man <laughs> wow so, uh two more things we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Charlie Brown Superstar that mixed uh the joyful noise version of the album and I Absolutely. described I describe that as basically uh hillbilly Bonavere. <laughs> uh that's a really good way to put it actually. Yeah. Uh I love that version and 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 one more thing. And we've gone deep here uh and discussing this album and then a Deems album uh that I had at number four. Uh who knew that we was gonna get all philosophical on just talking about music here, man. Um Hey man, but, that's what it's about, you know. Yeah, you mentioned that you know you really didn't know what you believe. My entire life, I've believed in the traditional Christian version of God. But as I've grown older, I have recognized that people don't necessarily believe that, and that's fine too because 
my version of God is not theirs, but that don't mean both of us can't get to the same end point. And um, my philosophy now is I wake up every day and I fail most days, but I, I try to do two things in, the, in that day, not be an idiot and not be an asshole. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much my that's credo it. now. Well, you know what? I mean, uh, if we're going to, if we're going to get into this, I'll be real, man. I was raised traditional Baptist, you know, um, fire Pentecostal here. Yep. Yeah. And, and as I've gotten older, I've kind of let go of a lot of that. I let go of a lot of the fear that, that goes along with that. And what they try to kind of teach you is you know, like in youth group and as kids. And now, man, like I really, I just wake up and I, I just want to be, do my best. Nobody's that's perfect, but that's I, all we do can my do, best brother. to be like, a good person and not be an asshole. It's the same tenets, man. Like, we're, yeah. you know, different, different ideologies, but we're, we're living by the same code, brother. All right. <laughs> so let's move on now. Uh, I didn't know we was going to be teaching a theology class tonight, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> at, <laughs> at number three, I have Wilco with cruel country. Uh, this Ooh, is okay. okay. The longest album on my list, uh, 21 songs, and like all Wilco albums, it takes me and most listeners several listens to really start appreciating it. Uh, it's probably my favorite album of theirs since uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which is my one of my, if not my absolute uh, favorite album ever. Jeff Tweedy is just such an amazing songwriter. Uh, I, he never, never fails to amaze me with his words. Uh, whether it be a Wilco album or one of his solo albums. Uh, I really like the title tracks. Uh, the title track, I really like uh, the song Ambulance, but by far my favorite song on the album is I'm Tired of Taking It Out On You. And uh, I'm pretty much open that I've struggled with severe, severe depression and anxiety over the last 20 years. And he has a line in... Uh, and that song basically is, uh, he's, you know, Jeff has been open about, he has struggled with many of the same issues that I do and have. And that song basically is about, you know, you know, when you're down and it's really no one's fault, but the people around you get caught in the crossfires. And that's something that I've struggled with mightily. And he gave an interview. I can't remember what magazine, I think it was NME about that particular song, I'm tired of taking it out on you. And he said that this song was basically him coming to terms with this. And this is his exact quote. I'm a person who needs to stay alert to how I treat others when I'm not feeling my best. And that to me, man, is so profound because whether you have, you know, mental health issues or anything, we all have bad days and it's so hard not to take that out on those around us. And those around us are the most, most time more often than not those we love the most, whether it be close friends, families, spouses, children. And that, that hit me like a ton of bricks, man. Uh, I love that song and I can't, I can't get enough of it. I mean, it's interesting to hear you kind of run down this record. Um, just the way you just broke that down. I'll be real, man. Like Wilco's one of those bands, at least for me personally, so far, like I've really wanted to like, I got, but you. I just, but you know, but I haven't just, it hasn't snagged me yet. But you're selling me right now. You, you, you're giving. Me, <laughs> well, it, it may never, and that's cool, man, because they they are different, man. They really are. Uh, but I mean, I listen to a lot of different stuff. You yeah, know? But I, I got mean, you. Whenever I hear somebody break it down like that, it makes me want to go revisit it and, you know, you know, dot my eyes and cross my t's, and I'm definitely going to give it another listen. Just hearing you talk about it, you know. All right. All right. Well, great. So what do you got for us at number two, Jay? All right. So number two, um, the double goat, John Fulbright, the liar mm, is okay. my number two of the year. Um, John's last record came out in 2014. We we waited eight years for this album. And um, like I, I will quote him. You know, after his second record that was called Entitled Songs came out, he said, you have your entire life to write your first record, and they want the second one in a year. Oh, that's a great quote. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it was it was a quote that stuck with me because I've been waiting so long for a follow-up, you know? And 
this this record is so good. It's so much more loose. I love his first two albums. They are incredible, but this this record is so loose. Um, he really lets the band just like go to work without sacrificing any depth to his music at all. He produced it himself. And really, like this record was about him just kind of having fun with his friends. Um, the all the songs were they were written already, but they were really arranged with the band in the studio in real time. Um, the song, I mean, and the songs on the album are so incredible. Like they range from like deeply existential stuff, like stars, you know, which is about like kind of reckoning with God and your version of him. Uh And like fun fact, an associate of John legend saw John Fulbright live and sent him video of the song stars and John legend actually recorded a version of stars. We haven't heard it yet, hmm. but it might, might be on a future record, which well, I hope it's a big hit and Fulbright gets a lot of royalties, dude. <laughs> Me too, man. I hope the dude's like, like taking a shit on a golden toilet after that, you know? <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's funny that you, you bring up like a, like mental health and like anxiety and depression on your last record that you mentioned the Wilco record, because, you know, this record it's so different from John Fulbright's prior work that, you know, his prior work was a little bit more serious throughout. And like, there's a song called social skills on this one, which I just love because it's a gr- incredibly written song, but it really, it makes light of his social anxiety and stage fright, you know, and he talks about it. Um, it's just masterful. And the last thing I'll throw in on this album particularly is there's two tracks on it, Blameless and Unlocked Doors, which are just two of the best songs on the record. And they're actually reworked older material from his first record in 2012. It was uh, Live at the Blue Door. And that record is just him with an acoustic guitar and a harmonica. And if you want to check out acoustic versions of those songs and just hear some incredible acoustic work, listen to Live at the Blue Door. Um, John Fulbright, A+, plus, man. Absolutely. I'm glad you uh, brought that up. I really like this album and you mentioned social skills and I very much relate to that dude, because probably the one thing in life that gives me anxiety more than anything is large crowds. And that sucks because one of the, there's hardly nothing in this (laughs) life I like better than going to a concert. And sometimes I have to wrestle with my, you know, the duality of both sides of myself, the side that loves, loves live music and the side that hates large crowds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but social anxiety sucks but moving on moving on my number two is spoon with lucifer on the sofa it was released way back in february and like ian know it's been right at the top of my list uh all year it's their 10th album probably uh my favorite album that they've ever done yeah it's and, their best uh and I've, I've been a casual fan of spoon you know probably for the last 15 years and uh this one really hit for me like unlike the previous nine and i have to say even though my taste in music has grown over the years you know the old uh alternative rocker in me throughout the 90s and early 2000s woke up and fell in love with this album man i love it uh uh the title track's great uh the song hero is great uh the hardest cut uh all of them man from top to bottom it's an album it's a quick album i mean uh it won't take you very long to listen to it but it's an album that you, i highly recommend you listen to the entire thing uh it's just it's got some great music great lyrics as always uh you know brit daniel is a, is a great great songwriter uh uh he's also you know the lead singer for spoon and it's an album that out of everything that we've talked about today other than my number one, which we'll talk about here in a minute, I've probably listened to the most this year. Uh, a, because it's been out for 10 months, and B, because I love it so much. Well, all I'll say about Spoon is that you turned me on to this record, and as a child of the 90s and early 2000s, I heard the name a thousand times, and I never really, I'll be, I'll be real, I never really gave him a listen. But then... Not only did I go, did I listen to the, this record, but I went back and listened to their prior stuff and awesome. spent about two weeks just like on a, in a spoon hole, man. Awesome. And, but I will say, like, I agree with you. Like, 
this record is it, it, it. I had to go back and listen several times, Brian, because it shocked me just how much more consistent and how good this record was. It is so good, man. Like if you've never listened to Spoon, check him out. Take Brian's recommendation. I promise you won't regret it. Like it was just a super awesome listen. And you can go back and listen to their prior stuff. But in my opinion, sounds like Brian's as well. Like you're not going to find a single record that really captures their sound throughout like this one does. All right. So it's now time. Uh, we each have one album left. And up until this point, especially in the top five, we've had very little overlap. But um, it's safe to say that we have the, the same number one. I'll let you go ahead, uh, Jay, and announce that. It's And then we'll both talk about it since we both have it as our album of the year. All right. So um, the number one record of this year is mine and Brian's opinions, without a which doubt. Are, which are the only ones that count, by the way. Only ones that count in this forum. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ian No, River Fools, and Mountain Saints. And Brian, if you don't mind, I'll just, I'll nerd out for a second. Go I'll ahead, let you brother. follow suit and we'll yeah. just chat about it for a second. Yeah, I'm, we're good. I think we've got maybe probably about 10, 11 minutes left. So we, we, perfect. It's all about Ian these last 10 minutes, man. Oh, my, oh my God. Like I've waited <laughs> nine months to talk about this record. We've been talking about this since damn June. We knew this was going to be the answer. Um, Ian, though, I mean, I think I literally believe in 50 years, our grandkids will be dusting off our Ian, no records. And that is a beautiful thought, man. This, this album, there was so much anticipation for it. Like his first record was just unbelievable. Like so damn good. And, but you know, there's some, there's some big differences there. Like the first album, it was recorded with Dave Cobb and uh-huh. it was recorded in a span of one to two weeks. Yep. Pretty quick. Cobb's kind of notorious for that. I mean, he's great at what he does, but he does it quickly. This record, total opposite. Um, it took two years to record this record. It was recorded at the Bomb Shelter in Nashville, Tennessee. It was produced by Ian and Andrea Tokik. I'm trying to get the pronunciation right. I've been practicing it half the day. And I mean, the songs are just, you just cannot top them. Um, no. I, like, I, I will say this, like POW Blues. Mm, yeah. That, well, I mean, that was actually, that was actually written before Between the Country, but Ian didn't put it on that record because he didn't think it fit there. He was saving it, you know, and I'm so happy he did because when you listen to the record, the POW blues into burning down the prairie might be the best, like one, two punch on a record I've heard in my adult life. Um, POW blues. It really just, it's such a hitter. It's like, if you read the lyrics, they read really somber. You know, it's a, it's truly like a tale of like a POW, you know, and you're there, man. Like you feel it. But then whenever you hear the song, it's like crunchy and like defiant as hell, you know, um, burning down the prairie. It's like, it's about, I mean, it's kind of about indigenous people just like losing their land, but it, overall, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Let's interject. I, I, Let's just, interject. yeah, I, I was going to say, man, it's really not fair that Ian as young as he is and can write it. I mean, come up with these songs dude i mean it's <laughs> he must have it's a cheat not. code I mean, <laughs> he does like, uh, left right left right up down yeah. x <laughs> um uh, strip job blues 1984 i mean oh uh, God. For, those, for those that don't know ian literally lives and and grew up maybe as the crow flies 12 to 15 miles from me so that song really hit home to me because in in especially in the early to mid 80s this area was booming because of coal and because of strip mining and then the coal companies left and our people in our area has never recovered dude never and uh and he wasn't even alive then but i mean just to be able to write about it uh as beautiful and poetic as he did and ballad of a retired man jesus oh my god (laughs) like that song like i was gonna go nuts on that song like and like let in just over four minutes, like he covers like like an average man's like life of work and then kind of dealing with idleness of retirement and then very quickly in like sickness and then straight into the deathbed and then and, looking out into the universe and riding like radio waves and hearing like you know from his memories and 
because they're out there. They're out there in space. And if you believe that, like he's like riding Muhammad Ali's quotes, man, like through space and time. Like it's such a deep ass song. It's crazy. That he's how does, that and, and how does somebody in their 20s identify with a with a, a man old enough to be in, you know, retiring and then basically growing old and dying? Man, that's that's that just blows my mind. I was, I, I mean, when I was Egan's age, <laughs> I was lucky yeah. just to, to wake, you know, put one foot in front of the other. And <laughs> you know what's just... weird is like, whenever after we did this, after after we talked about this and like I made this list, I looked at like the top three records of the year and I thought about like what do these what do these things have in common, you know? And you look at like Tyler and you know you look at Ian, you look at John Fulbright. These are all guys that like they're pretty they're not really extroverts. You know, these are nope. introverted dudes that just think a lot and they put a lot of depth into their songs and, you know, it shows in their lyrics and it, it's a reason why they, they resonate to me and probably to a lot of other people, you know, because they can put things into words that the average person like us, like just wouldn't even really wouldn't be able to do, even if we had the resources and the knowledge to do so, you know what I mean? Like it's crazy. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, but all the songs on the album aren't necessarily uh, about as deep a subject as, you know, Strip Job Blues or Battle of Retirement. He's got a song on there called Riverful, which is probably the most fun song on the album. Uh, it is. Musically and lyrically. And that's actually about a real person uh, that lived around these parts that I knew very well. He's dead now, but his name was O.H. Napier, inspired that song. And wow. he was a musician himself. And you can actually... Believe it or not, he put out one album, self-recorded pretty much at home, and it's on uh, it's on Spotify and on Apple Music if you want to stream it. And he's got a few YouTube videos. I will warn you that he does use very foul language because <laughs> <laughs> he really was a river fool. I mean, he uh, I saw him live once. He uh, he may have performed live and you know officially maybe four times, and one of them was here in my hometown at the Honey Festival. Uh, wow. He was he was very intoxicated. He played for an hour, and the entire hour was Bob Seger's Night Moves. <laughs> <laughs> he just, like, played it on repeat? Played it on repeat, brother. He would try to come up with another song and just wouldn't get five seconds into it and just go ahead and play Night Moves again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and it was awesome as That's it awesome. sounds. Uh, and obviously, we have to talk about the closing song on the album, man. Oh, my God. Uh, song of the year, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, we... We talked briefly about our favorite songs of the year. I think you have it at number one, your favorite song of the year, right? I do. Yeah, and I, it's my – I had it at number three, but it could easily be number one. Like the first time I listened to this album, uh, you know, I, I was just instantly, song after song, I was falling in love. And what a way to close a masterpiece of an album with uh, not just a uh, an original song, but one that goes into a cover. And I have to mention that, you know, he he talks about road, road may flood, and that is something that happens here a lot. To be frank with you, because of the strip mining that he mentioned in the in the earlier song on the album, uh, it floods very easily here. And in early last year, we had the worst flood that this area has ever seen in March of 2021. And his hometown of Bateville, uh, my hometown of Jackson, were both devastated. And wouldn't you know it, this year we had a flood that was even worse. Uh, the two worst floods uh, in recorded history that goes back to the late 1700s, early 1800s, have happened within 12 months of each other here, man. So Damn. that that song immediately hit me. And then he goes into cover and uh, Bonnie Tyler's It's a Heartache. And I didn't even realize and probably until about the second verse that that was that song. And then I and it just like it just blew me away, man. Uh, I mean, what a way to close out an album! What a way to close out the album of the year. Uh, go ahead and talk a little bit about it because it's your favorite song of the year, man. Uh, well, I uh, mean, I was that song in particular. I, I was the same as you. I didn't realize that the second half was a cover. And then whenever you like dig a little bit deeper, the string like at two minutes and thirty seconds of that song, if you haven't heard it, like. <laughs> these strings kick in yep. and not only is like the second half, like a cover, but that those strings are actually a sample of it's a heartache by Ronnie mm -hmm. Scott, Stephen Wolf. 
you know. Yeah, they, they wrote and, it, and 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 Bonnie Tyler pretty much has a, has the the famous version of it, right? Or am I crazy? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. But it's like when those strings hit, the song takes an entirely different turn, and it's just, you know, I've wondered like what drove him to combine those two, because they really are two separate songs. But the way he ties them together is just so masterful, man. Like, I don't know. I'm like you. Somebody, Ian No, his age, like, it doesn't even make sense how, just how really talented he truly is. And I, you know, he's the kind of guy, like, if you, he doesn't play really a lot of shows. And, you know, he kind of shies from the spotlight. You know, he doesn't really want that acclaim. He doesn't respond to that well apparently you know and you know what i'm I'm cool with that like just if he gives us an album every 10 years we're lucky i mean i really believe he's that generational and he's that good and listen to river fools of mountain saints man like it's just an incredible record generational uh, four years old you know, whenever, it always will be i'll listen to that record to the day i die i swear to god and i'll find something new every time i listen to it that tells me just how great it is you know yep um and let, uh what about the line i used to have a christian wife and i lost her like a pocket knife sliding down pocket knife oh i mean come on oh my god <laughs> like you know, a, a simple it's, but brilliant analogy and line man <laughs> it's so it's so strange because i mean my friends here and, and my friends in general, dude, I talk too much. Like I can talk about people's music, but there's some writers that if you want to get into like the depths of like their songwriting, I can't even, I don't even know what to say. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know. You know, so damn good. It's hard to put it into words. And <laughs> it's, it's been kind of a joke. Cause like on Twitter and social media, people have been, telling us like since you announced that we were doing this podcast like oh you know you know that's the record of the year you know there's a kind of a part there's a part of you that kind of wants to buck that you know like well kind of wants to but you can't because it's just that good let me i'm glad you brought that up because on the only other episode we did together we ranked sturgill's catalog and i tried to get a little too cute there man and not rank meta modern number one and i (laughs) I knew from, you know, when we first started talking about this five months ago that I wasn't going to get cute with this, man, that Ian was going to be number one. Yeah. Uh, I, I never, I never same, wavered. Same here. Like, um, it came out March 25th. We've known it since that damn day. That this was the best record we were going to hear this year. And it's that, it really is that simple. And I'm glad I've had nine months to spend with it. You know, um, we've, we've listed some records here that are newer and, They've earned their their positions. Like they're everything we've discussed is great, great work. Absolutely, but man. You know, I think we both kind of knew in March that Egan was going to be the pick, and there ain't a damn thing wrong with that, man. Because I think we're making the right choice. I think we'll look back on this in five years and say <laughs> we got that right. Absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> uh, once again, I, I thank you so much for coming on uh, the last hour and a half or so. Jason, it's been a great conversation as always, brother, whether we're talking by text, Twitter, or, you know, uh, over the phone or in person, I always talk, love taking, talking music with you, my friend. Uh, yeah, man. And, uh, if I don't talk to you again between now and Christmas, have a, I hope you and yours are, have a wonderful, beautiful, healthy, and happy holiday, my friend. Yes, sir. And since it is both of our number one, Album of the year. I think I'll close today's episode with the song we just finished talking about, and that is Ian No with Road May Flood. It's a heartache. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. In a good raincoat, dig myself out the deepest moat, keep it all bay. Last time it rained, I didn't sleep for weeks Worrying on those rising creeks Gravel bars and busted beach Mountains made a sleigh Guess you could say it's been a haunted
show is presented to you by Thatcher Barbecue Company at the Gorge and is written, recorded, and produced by me, Brian Combs. If you enjoy this show, I ask that you recommend it to at least one other person with whom you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.